0: Well, I am grateful um, to be here, and we're uh, in the penultimate week of our series on Ephesians, which simply means that next week we'll wrap up our series on, on this awesome letter that Paul wrote um, to this this group of early believers that people were that were turning to Jesus. And um, what we're what we're in right now is kind of this end of uh, chapter five and beginning of chapter six, where we're looking at. What does it look like for us um, to to, um, use power in in relationships that are common? And Paul writes this to, uh, and he talks to to these folks, and he talks about three relationships. And two weeks ago, Zach talked about marriage, husbands and wives. Uh, Last week, Jeff talked about um, parents and children. And today, we're gonna be looking at workplace relationships. Um, And so we're gonna be talking about work. Yay! Right, everybody excited. Um so when I was when I was thinking about today, I I couldn't help but think back to kind of my working career, right? Like like think back to my first job and um well technically it was my second job. My first job was was Ponderosa and I retired after 6 days. Um so I uh, did that for 6 days and then I got a job at Simon Chevrolet Buick in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. it was my my first kind of like job. I was there for two years, my junior and senior year of high school. And uh, I was what they call a lube tech, which um, I changed. I did oil changes and did some kind of the, the minor scheduled maintenance and helped the other mechanics. But I also went, occasionally they'd, they'd ask me to go pick up a part at another, another dealership or another parts store. And so I'd go in the parts van. And as I was remembering this, I remembered this one incident where they asked me to go get this part at a, a dealership in Providence, Rhode Island. So it's about 35 minutes away, and you had to jump on a highway to get there. So this is a big deal, and I was really excited about this. So I get the, the parts van keys, and I get the everything I need to, to, to go and get this, uh, this part and to bring it back. And so I'm driving on 146, and I go to switch lanes. And as I do, um, I didn't realize that there was another cargo van, like, uh, in the lane next to me. And so I go over, and all of a sudden, all I see is my mirror flying up, my side view mirror flying in the air, like in slow motion, right? Where you can see it, it's just going, woof, woof. and then it hits the ground, and it splat- it just scatters everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just hit the, the van next to me. So I pull over, um, and it- he was a- in a work van as well. And at that time, we didn't have cell phones. Like, we just didn't pull out our, our cell phone. I didn't even have, like, the Motorola ch- track phone, you know, like the... Star- Never mind, um, The flip phone. Um, and so we're, we're figuring out what to do. And he says, hey, let's just exchange information. So I get to, I'll get back to uh, my company. I'll give my boss your information and then he'll contact you guys. I was like, yeah, I, I totally didn't see you. Um, so we did that and I get in the car and now I'm just like terrified. Um, I couldn't drive well with a mirror, and now driving without one is gonna be even harder. So I, I decide to get to the dealership, and as I'm going, I'm thinking, okay, do I call them when I get to the, to the dealership to pick up the part, or do I just wait till I get back and they see the damage, and, and we have a conversation about it? Um, and so I get to the dealership, and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna call them. I'm gonna let them know. That way it's not a surprise when I get back there. So I call, I call uh, Mr. Simon, and I remember he would always call me Kid big kid, kid this and kid that, uh, and he he all he said. I kind of told him everything. He said, "Are you okay, kid?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm fine. You know, just a little nervous." And he's like, "Get back here safely, kid." And that's it. And he hung up the phone. And so that left me even more scared because I'm like, oh. like I, I didn't even know if he was mad. I didn't know like what I didn't know what I was going to encounter when I got back to Simon Chevrolet Buick. And so I'm driving back. And I'm kind of mortified, right? Like anytime you don't know something, you often take it out to its worst possible conclusion. Like I literally thought he was gonna call my parents, have them there, shame me in front of them, and then fire me from my job. Like I, I thought it was gonna be the worst and then somehow put it in the paper, right? That, um, so I'm, I'm mortified because I, I I didn't know how he was going to exercise his power over me. I didn't know what he was going to do. I remember pulling into the dealership, and by that time, the word had gotten out, right, <laughs> that I had that I had crashed the van. So everybody's kind of looking to see how bad the damage is, and I'm driving in, and I am, and I'm, I just, I, I don't, I don't know how he's going to respond and react. Um, I didn't know if he was gonna use his power in a way that would build me up or he was gonna use his power in a way that was just gonna absolutely tear me down. Um, and I think that all of us um, have those moments or we've seen power m- misused. We've seen power that's not been used in a way that builds, but, but in a way that tears down. Uh, and part of what Paul is trying to do here is he's saying, Hey, here are three key relationships in which one person has responsibility over another, but, but, but we're calling to have mutual submission under Christ or out of reverence for Christ. He says these are three key relationships in, we can, in which we can often get power wrong, we can misuse power. Now, Paul has been drawing this central theme throughout this letter where he's saying, Hey, we're, there, it's this theme of unity, he's saying we are one we are part of the same body, we are co-equal members of the family of God he's saying don't matter your race don't matter, exactly don't matter your race, your social standing, it doesn't matter your gender he said all, oh, those walls in Christ have been torn down now it's important for us to, to be reminded of that as we, as we look at you know, workplace relationships and employee employer relationships, because I think that when we recognize that we are all equal members of God's family, it changes the way that we exercise power over others. When we recognize that, uh, as they often say, that the, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross, it impacts the way that we lead, the way that we, um, the way that we have relationships with those that we're over, that we have responsibility over. And so we're gonna look at this passage where uh, Paul encourages us and and challenges us uh, with some principles that we can apply in our workplace. And so let's look at it. We're in chapter six, and we're gonna start in verse five. It's in the back of your bulletins. If you've got your Bibles, you can pull them out. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their, win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now I read this passage and I'm kind of like, Employee, employer, it says slave and master. And just reading those words, I mean, kind of makes me a little sick to my stomach, right? It, it brings about these questions, because for me, I, I immediately go back to the, the part of our, 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 the, of our nation's history uh, where slavery existed, um, where uh, based on the color of one's skin uh, determined uh, the 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 fact that you were subhuman in, in 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 a particular way, and 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 for me it kind of there are some some versions that that change it to servant, but I, I like this one because it causes me to wrestle with it, and it causes me to ask the question: is 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 Paul condoning slavery here? Like, does God condemn it? Like what, what's going on here? And so before we kind of try to take some principles out of this text, I, I want us um, to, to look at and answer those questions. The, the first thing we should know and the simple answer is that, that God does condemn it. Um, he hates it. When you, look at the, the, when you look throughout the scriptures, you see that a God who, who is the, the, the one who delivers those that are oppressed, he frees the oppressed. He calls himself the shelter for those that are marginalized and oppressed. And he calls his people to do the same. And so what's happening here, the, the complex answer is that we have to understand who Paul is writing to and what slavery was in the context of Paul's day. So in, in the ancient world, there, were, there was a wide array, array a range of forms of slavery that were practiced. On one end, you had the, the cruel and unusual type of slavery, the one that, that saw people as subhuman. Um, and there was a number of ways that you could find yourself in slavery. Um, there were some f- fascinating articles that I read on this, but oftentimes it was if your nation was conquered, you'd then be taken in as slaves. Um, sometimes if you owed a debt and you couldn't pay it, you'd become a slave. Um, the root word is Dula here, um, this idea of a bondservant. It's where we get the phrase, if you've ever heard it, the, the debtor is slave to the lender, right? Um, and so on one end, we have this type of slavery that, that comes to mind when we hear the word slave and master, the one where people were treated as subhuman. And that type of slavery is indefensible and is an abomination to God. To understand that a little better, it, it, it basically means that it makes God sick to his stomach, Because when we see, um, when we look at the scriptures, we see a God who has made each and every one of us an image bearer. And on the other end of the spectrum of slavery in Paul's day would have been, uh, uh, especially under the nation of Israel, this um, employment type um, slavery. It was meant to be a blessing to the poor, to take them in and to provide for their sustenance. And there were laws that kind of regulated this, that that they be treated with dignity and respect. So much so that it says that they should be freed after seven years. And so we see this spectrum of of the, the type of people that Paul would have been writing to. And I think he would have been writing to all of them. For us today, I want us to look at this and see what are the principles that we can take out of this as we live and we, um, and we interact in our workplace relationships. And so I wanna read this passage again, and I want you to notice a few things from it. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now he says something here three times. He references it, and I don't know if you caught it. He says it in three different ways. He says, serve as if unto Christ, as a slave or servant of Christ. And then he says, as if unto the Lord. And here's where we can take out this first principle, is that when in our workplace, uh, we're, we should serve our bosses as if we're serving Christ, as if we're serving Jesus. When I, when I say that in the jobs partnership class that I get the opportunity to teach at, it's an organization that we're a part of uh, as a church. When I say that, I often hear, hmm, And it's easy for you to say that, Pastor, because your boss is Jesus, right? And and I'm like, well, then you should hear some of the arguments me and my boss have because I don't always like what he tells me to do, right? Uh, And I do have another boss that's not Jesus. Um, But it's like, you don't know my boss. He's nothing like Jesus. He or she is nothing like Jesus. And I know this is hard, You know why I know? Because it would have been hard for the people that Paul was writing to as well. It would have been hard for them. And he doesn't say, hey, oh, serve them as if it was Jesus when they're nice. Serve them as if they were Jesus because they're godly people. He's saying there's a principle here that we should serve those that are our bosses, our supervisors as if we were serving Christ. Now the hard part about this, and, you're, and it's like, Sam, I, you should see how this, this person is just the worst. You know what makes this hard is that oftentimes when we do this, it feels like we're doing it in vain. It feels like even, when, even if I'm kind, when, when kindness is not reciprocated, it's in vain. It feels like when I try to, to display the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness to my boss and in my workplace, it feels like nothing changes, like nothing is happening. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says that we should serve the Lord with everything that we have because it is not in vain. There is something that's happening that we can't see and that we may never see that's happening in your work environment when you serve as if unto the Lord. There's something that's happening in you. There's something that's happening in your boss. There's something that's happening in those that are watching. When we serve as if unto the Lord. I love hearing stories of um, how people came to faith and um, placed their trust in Jesus, and oftentimes, they'll say, oh, uh, this one person said something, and it kind of caused me to ask questions, and that's when I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm like, hey, does the person know? And they're like, no, I don't even know who the person was, (laughs) right? Like, there are things that happen when we trust God enough to do what is right, even when it feels like nothing around us is changing. It is not in vain. And I know some of you um, are in some really, really tough situations with your boss. Um, I know that that it's not easy. And my hope as I was as I was getting ready to for today was that I knew it wouldn't be easy because in fact this is harder. (laughs) It's harder to serve as a fun to Christ. It's a lot easier to gossip. And I've fallen into that trap, right? Oh, did you see what so-and-so did? But if we do this, Paul tells us that, that there is a reward that comes from it. There's something that happens when we trust God enough to do what is right, even when it seems like nothing is changing. So the first principle is that we would serve as if unto God, that we would work as if unto God, as if unto our Lord. The second principle that I see here is this call to excellence, right? This idea that if we serve as if unto the Lord, then what we do, we do it well. We do it with excellence, there's, a, there's a, a phrase that I've latched onto, and I think it's, uh, it was Bill Hybels, a pastor in, in, in Chicago, that says it. He says, excellence honors God and inspires others. Excellence in, honors God and inspires others. And I want to look at this honors God piece. Because how many of you, how many of us view our work as worship unto God? Oftentimes we think about it as this thing that we go do and then, and then with the, the, the remaining time that we have, the couple hours that we have, then we serve God, whether it's serving here at Summit or serving outside these four walls. And I wanna let us know, I wanna remind us that we have an amazing opportunity to worship God with our work. Now it takes kind of going back to the beginning when God made work. Um, and it may come to a surprise that work came before the fall. I, I, I think sometimes we, we think that work is a, is a byproduct or a result of, of the fall or, the, or sin when sin entered the world. But if you want to challenge me on it, look, look in your Bibles. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is when God places Adam in the garden. He charges him with tending and caring for and working God's creation. Sin doesn't enter the the picture into chapter three. And what comes as a result is toil. The fact that work would be hard. But the root word that, that we see in Genesis chapter two, verse 15 for work is abad. And abad is the same word that we see in the scriptures for worship. It's this idea that when we do our work well, when we do our work, that our work can be worship unto God. Now, wouldn't that change your Monday? A lot of us come to church on Sunday to worship, but how about if we showed up on Monday or later this afternoon or whenever it is that you take shift, and we say, I'm gonna worship God. And I'm gonna worship him with the quality of my work. That we would see work as a gift. Can you imagine if we didn't have work? (laughs) It'd be cool for about six months. <laughs> work des- God designed work as a way for us to worship him as we leverage the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's entrusted to us. We can worship him. And this is so hard because there's something about work that can become so mundane, right? Right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again. It can become so mundane that we just see it as something we do and not as worship unto God. And I'm so glad that I got a picture of this early on from my dad. Um, My dad has a 10th grade education. I still remember when I went with him for him to take his GED test. And he passed it, so he has his GED, so I guess he has a 12th grade education. Um, and my dad worked at MelcoEd. It's still there. I looked it up this week. MelcoEd in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. It's this factory. Um, and one of the things that they made and the thing that my dad worked on was a, the jewelry boxes. You know, like, did he, did he go to Jared? Like, when he's proposing, right? The jewelry boxes. And I remember my brother and I, my younger brother, my I'm the youngest, but the brother that was closest in age to me, my, my mom would take us to have lunch with my dad. And uh, factories are just scary, peop- scary places for kids that are like 10. Um, there was this one dark, dingy hallway that I, I swear there were like dead bodies somewhere, like body parts everywhere. And so when we'd get there, there was this, that hallway that we had to go through and my dad was going to be on the other side. So we kind of like run through it uh, and we'd get to the other side and my dad would come out and we'd, we'd have lunch together. But he'd always bring out one of the jewelry boxes. And he's like, this is what I've been working on today. Look at it, this one, got a special hinge and, and he, 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 he'd show it to me. I, I still remember, like, I still remember that. It's because my dad understood that, that his work, that the quality of his work was worship unto his God, that it reflected the beauty of the God that had made him and had made the work. And I got to see that and he, he'd always say, give God your best. He'd say, give God your best. And many times it's what fuels me. Give God your best. Give God your best. You see, excellence inspires God, uh, uh, honors God, and it also inspires others. You know, I um, I did some math this week, um, and if you work for about forty years, you'll spend. Give or take about a hundred thousand hours in your lifetime at work. That's way more than you'll spend uh, uh, here at church, uh, for sure. Um, unless you, you work here like me, then. Um, but it's way more than you'll spend at church, and for some, it's way more than you'll spend with your families. Right? Because it's your these are hours that you're awake. <laughs> um, One hundred thousand hours. We can see this as an opportunity to inspire others. The beauty about principles, when we look at them, is that they apply both negatively and positively. Right? And this week, I came across an article in the Daily, um, this, this, uh, this one article, um, and I love the name of it because it, it, it gives us this picture. Um, it basically said, um, uh, rudeness in the workplace, it's like a virus. And so it was, a, it was actually a research that was done at the University of Florida. Boo. <laughs> um, University of Florida, and, um, and it basically said that if you're rude, the people around you will get ruder. I don't even know if "ruder" is a word, but they'll get more rude um, if you're rude. And the reason being is because if you're rude, psychologically, they'll begin to interpret other people as being rude, and they'll be rude in return. Right, and so the, this principle is something that, that that works both positively and negatively. Um, you've probably experienced this in your workplaces. You go in, and there's this there's this kind of environment or culture of um, just rudeness. But we get to with the in the the way that we do our work, the way that we worship God in our workplaces. We can inspire others the way that we treat our, our, our coworkers, the way that we're diligent about doing our work, the way that we're respectful and courteous, the way that we love our customers and our clients and the way that we treat our vendors. All of that has the, the, the potential to impact people, to inspire people. And more than that, it causes your faith to become attractive when they say there's something different about this one. There's something different. And we've all experienced kind of both ends of the spectrum, right, that slacker, who's a, who's a Christian. And they're like, man, I'm not talking in the break room, I'm building community. Get your work done, bro. Like, do your job, right? And this applies in every sphere of our life, whether you're a middle school, high school, college student, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a teacher, an attorney, a teller, a factory worker, an engineer, a doctor, it doesn't matter. Our work has the opportunity and the potential to inspire others. One of the, uh, prior to coming to, on staff at Summit, I spent uh, 11 years in the financial services industry, and one of the jobs I held was I was a, a teller. Um, at, a, at, a, at a branch. Uh, actually, I, I was what they called a floating teller. Any tellers in the house? No? Okay, great. Um, <laughs> next illustration, please. <laughs> uh, but in the, when you're a teller, right, the, at least for me, the drive-through was really tough right? Because you can't hug people through glass in their cars, right? Like it was so hard. Um, And also in the drive-thru as a teller, um, you're only working with customers. So it's not like in the lobby where anybody can come in and there's a lot more transactions. In the drive-thru, you really do three transactions. You do deposits, withdrawals, and you cash checks. That's all you do. Um, And so I remember that I would, and you would do that over and over and over again. And I remember I, you know, I was I was too young to know different, um, and it was great, um, but I would show up, and I was excited about being there, and I began to think about how can, how can I give somebody a hug through the screen, through the through the glass, and through through them being in their car, and I began to, and so I don't know how it even came to mind, but this is the Lord, I'll I'll give it to Jesus, like he said, uh, I I was like, you know what, I'm gonna invent Happy Fridays, in the drive-through. And it's that everyone, regardless of if they've got children in the car, get a lollipop. Um, So, you know, banks have the lollipops and they, they, so uh, I, I would, I would come on the intercom. Welcome to Bank of America. So glad that you're here on happy Friday. I'll be, I'll get done your transaction in just a minute. And so. They'd be like, well, it's Happy Friday. What is this all about? This guy's crazy. They'd send in their transaction. I'd I'd do their deposit, and then I'd send some lollipops back in there and say, so glad that you were with us on on Happy Friday. I hope you enjoy those lollipops. I hope you have a great weekend. And I'd send it off. Uh, And they were like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, And so I would go from one branch to another branch, and I started doing this Happy Friday thing. Um, And before you know it, I began to get emails from managers of branches that I'd gone to, and they're like, "Man, that Happy Friday thing—it really caught on. We're doing it, and you're not here." I'm like, "Awesome!" Um, and before you knew it, I was getting calls from managers saying, "Hey, we've got this position open here. Like, we'd, we'd love—we'd love for you to to apply for it. We'd love for you to do it." And it began to open doors because there was a there's a greater motivation for us, right? It's that that through our work, we get to worship God. And I began to show that. And before you know it, those around us, those around me began to notice. And so our work has the opportunity to inspire others. And, we can, and it can point them to Jesus or it can point them away from Jesus. It can, it can make this faith in this God that we believe in look attractive or unattractive as well. So we have a great responsibility to steward that. The principles we can serve as if unto God and and then a call to excellence that honors God and inspires others. Paul doesn't stop there. He begins and he addresses the masters. And he says this, verse nine, it says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven And there's no favoritism with him. Part of what I love about that is that Paul is writing this to a church. And in that church, there were people who were slaves and people who were masters. That's pretty cool. That there'd be a church that there'd be that type of diversity. And he says to them, hey, ditto to you what I just said to them. He says, treat them as you would treat Jesus now this would have been revolutionary for them for a person in power to, to to see those that he lords over that he has power over as equal revolutionary and I know that some are, like, that, that not all of us have some sort of leadership title in our job, right? We, not all of us have manager or supervisor in our job title, but John Maxwell has a, a great definition for leadership. He just says it's influence. And all of us have influence. We have influence on our classmates. We have influence on our children. We have influence on those that work with us. And if, you're, if, you're, if, you, are, uh, if you do have manager or, or, or supervisor on your name, you know how much influence people have. Because you're like, why are they behaving like that? Well, it's because that coworker next to them has influence, <laughs> right? Um, and so he says, hey, how are you going to leverage, how are you going to use this power that you have, this influence that you have? He says, I want you to, he says, he points them to Jesus. Jesus. Last week, Jeff mentioned the three kind of types of leadership. And he tells them, hey, don't lead with title leadership. Don't lead like a bully. Don't lead like that. Don't threaten them. Then, uh, leading with an example, as an example, is the next form of leadership. But the, the, the highest form of leadership is what's modeled by, a, by Christ. Servant leadership. You know, Power has this ability to corrupt us in, in both um, overt and subtle ways. And sometimes it's even the way that we view those that we have a responsibility or power over. We t- we be, because we have greater education, maybe we make more because we've got the title, we've got the position. We feel like they're beneath us. This would have been really, really hard for the audience that Paul was writing to. And it's hard for us. But the central theme has been that we are co equal members of God's family. When we are able to see that, it changes the way that we exercise and that we use power. And Paul says, Hey, I don't want you to make these mistakes. I don't want you to abuse power. But I want you to, if you're in a position of power, if you have influence, that you would that you would use your power as if unto christ you know when i pulled up to simon chevrolet buick on that day and all the employees were kind of looking to see how bad the damage was i said man i don't know what's going to happen here and i remember i parked the van in a way that you could see the side that still had a mirror and not, and not the side that didn't have a mirror uh, or this big scrape down the line, down the side. Um, I, I shut it off, took the keys, grabbed the part, walked on in, and there was a board that we would hang keys on. Um, and you kind of had to walk this hallway, and you got to the board, you put the keys in there. Um, and as I'm walking down, I see Mr. Simon standing over by the door, by the, by the board. And my heart just, I mean, I was 17 years old. <laughs> I had no idea what was gonna happen here. And so he could see that I was just mortified at about what was about to happen. And he reaches out, and he grabs the keys for me, and he said, don't worry about it, kid. We'll take care of it. And I was like, should I turn my back? What's coming when I turn my back, right? Like, is he just gonna go, boom, me <laughs> out, right? And so I, I was just, I was like, whoa. What? There. Now, my, the other the other automotive technicians that were there were not as kind as Mr. Simon, right? They let me have it, um, especially when the van that I hit uh, was, was actually um, repaired at our body shop. They're like, Sam, how'd you miss that van, right? Like, um, they let me have it. But Mr. Simon said, don't worry about it, kid. We'll take care of it. Man, he showed me grace when I had made a mistake. And it was gonna cost him something. Not only was it going to cost him to repair the, the 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 Simon Chevrolet van, but he was going to have to pay for for us to repair the other van I hit. And I I remember it, and uh, and then I was like, well, yeah, okay, but I, I'm going to see if maybe the relationship changes now, um, and it it still impacts me today when I think about that. The next time I was, I was scheduled to work, I came in and they needed someone to go pick up a part. And I didn't think that he would ask me to, to do it. I didn't think that he, he'd say, send the kid to, do, to go pick up the part. But he looks at the service manager um, and he says, send the kid. And it was a beautiful picture of really what Christ has done for us. That Even in the midst of our mistakes, call it sin, He paid the price for us. He he extended us grace. Mr. Simon didn't didn't make me feel less because I had done that. He treated me with respect and dignity. God has has invited us into his family and he's gifted us with the the title of being called children of God. And then he continued, Mr. Simon continued to invite me to be a part of what was happening there, to be a part of that team. And that's what God calls us to do. So not only does he, he give us grace in our mistakes, he, he gives us dignity and calls us his children, but he invites us to leverage our work and our workplace relationships as worship to him and as a way for people to see the gospel. And it matters. Relationships matter. They just do. That story, what Mr. Simon did some 20 years ago, matters to me today more than he'll ever know. Relationships matter. It matters to God. They matter to the people that are in them. Maybe more importantly, they matter to those that are watching us and determining something about our God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we, we confess that we don't always get it right. We don't often see our bosses as, as, as if we're serving you. God, we don't often use, we, we often get, get it wrong and we use power in, in wrong ways. God, and so we thank you for the forgiveness that we find in you. God, and we ask that you'd give us the strength the strength to uh, do, to trust you enough to do what is right even when nothing is changing. To trust you enough to know that our work in you is not in vain. God, give us the strength to do our work with excellence each and every day. That we would see our work as worship unto you, as a way for other people to to know and draw conclusions about you. God, in all of this, help us to love one another so well. Help us to see each other as equals, as co-equal members of your family, because that will change everything. And Lord, remind us each and every day that we've never locked eyes with anyone that doesn't matter to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.